You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. How about this team up here, man, and the song they wrote for our church? Isn't that awesome? Goodness gracious. It's so cool. I mean, it's just a reminder for me. Um, for those of you guys who don't know uh, where we've begun and where we are and where we're headed, it's just a, it's a testimony to God's goodness. I mean, yeah, these guys are super talented, and that's awesome. But if you take a talent and you anoint it with the presence and power of God, something cool can happen. Come on. I mean, it's one thing to be talented. A lot of people got talent, but to have talent anointed by the, by the Holy Spirit of God, that's how you change the world. That's how you do something special. I'm about to preach a whole different sermon right here, man. Um, wow. God is good. Y'all didn't grow up in church camp like I did. There you go. Um, so we're finishing a series today that we've been calling Life with Jesus. And over the last several weeks, we've just been diving into everything that that title suggests. And it was really born out of some time I was just spending in devotions trying to just seek God. And, you know, there's moments you just have to ask God to teach you things, right? I hope you know that every day God wants to teach you something new. You know that, right? Like every day God wants to get you away from the busyness of your life and the demands of your work and being a husband or wife or mom or dad or or whatever and just dig you deep into his word and teach you something. And every day is an opportunity for you to grow more like Jesus and in part of that study for me, God kind of convicted me of some things that my, my whole life I believed in something. Uh, if you know my story, I, I was adopted. I don't know a whole lot about my biological family. I never have really needed to because God took me from growing up in foster homes or whatever and put me into the home of two people who are the greatest two parents on the planet and just showed me what it means to love Jesus. It's just an example of God's favor, man. God's favor. And so... As I've grown up in that, I've always believed in something. I've always believed in God. I've always believed in Jesus. I mean, mean, it's not that I've always lived the way I should by any means. I've I've had seasons in my life just like y'all have when sin was in control, you know? Uh, We've all been in that place, but I've always believed in God. I've always believed in something. But God gave me this thought several months ago that, that when it comes to the Gospels and you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you watch the life of Jesus, that Jesus never really called us to simply believe in some things, but he called us to follow someone. And there's a big difference in that, right? And just believing in some things and following someone. And, and I've said this every week, that you know, the devil knows exactly who Jesus is. The devil believes everything. That, if you don't believe it, that's that's your decision, that's your choice, but the devil knows who Jesus is. The devil knows that, knows that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. The devil knows what the price was paid on the cross. The devil knows that we have salvation and can have a relationship with God. The devil believes in all those things. But there comes a point when you have to transition from just believing in some things to understanding following someone. And life looks a lot different when you make that transition. And as you dive into the word, see, you see Jesus as he's calling these disciples. And if you call yourself a disciple, a Christian, a Christ follower, this is what Jesus was calling people to. Go like to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Then check out what Jesus says in verse 19. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Again, if you move on into Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Again, Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So what Jesus called people to in the Gospels was not simply to believe in some things. God has never called you to be able to articulate systematic theology. Some of y'all are like, what's that? Like, like God never called you to be able to articulate a, a, a doctrine. What Jesus said was, hey, come follow me. Don't be just a spectator, but be a participator in what I'm doing. Come follow me. I'm going to show you the way God intended life to be lived. I'm going to demonstrate before you what it means to know and live in intimacy with the Father. Father, come and follow me. And so we've been digging into that. So what does it really look like to do life with Jesus? And the cool thing is, is we have these stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of real people who did actually do life with Jesus. And what we discover is life with Jesus in Scripture is something different than kind of most of us have thought it was and experienced in our lives, right? Have you ever had those moments when your experience and your theology kind of clash? Yeah, say amen. Like those moments when, when what you thought was true about God or what you had been taught about God or what some preacher stood and told you about God and then what you've experienced in God was kind of like kind of coming to a head a little bit and you had to resolve that a little bit, right? And that, that's probably when we have the most often when we have crisis in our faith is when our experience and our theology seem to clash. And so what I, I'm hoping to do, Dan, is, is, is unless you really truly understand what it means to do life with Jesus, it'll be hard to ever really do life with Jesus the right way. If what we believe about God is wrong, then we can never follow him in a way that's right. And so we're trying to dig deep into that. And what I've discovered is I dig deep into what it means to do life with Jesus. It's kind of not what I've always been told my whole life. And it's not what I want to create it to be. Because, see, that's what we really want to do. We want to kind of determine for ourselves what it means to follow Jesus. We want to come up with what it means to follow Jesus in a way that's comfortable and fits our agenda and fits our prerogative and fits our nice little mold, right? Come on, you with me, everybody, amen? That's what we want to do. We want to come up with this theology of what it means to follow Jesus, but the good news is we have the Bible. Sometimes I tell people, what you believe don't matter. What does the Bible say? That was a good place for an amen, right, right there. It's not what you believe that matters. It's what does the Bible say? And so we learned in, in week one, we talked about how life with Jesus is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And we live in a culture that loves us some comfort. Like we spend a lot of time and energy trying to be comfortable. Like our entire American dream concept is about being comfortable. You go to school, you get education, you get a good job so you can make enough money, so you can have a comfortable home, a comfortable lifestyle. And what we understand is we watch these guys do life with Jesus, it was uncomfortable. And one of the biggest ways that played out was in John chapter 4 when they had that encounter with the Samaritan woman and they had to engage people in issues that they would rather avoid and ignore. But that's what it means to follow Jesus and sometimes it's uncomfortable. Then in week 2 we talked about how life with Jesus is unpredictable. That we saw this moment in, in one chapter of scripture where they're feeding the 5,000 everybody's high-fiving and excited and we, we just fed all these people, it's awesome, we just did this cool thing. Everybody's like, y'all are awesome because you feed people, they get excited. And then, like, just moments later, they go from miracle to mayhem. And they had the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. Now they find themselves in a boat, and there's a storm brewing so much, guys are about to pee their pants. I mean, it is hitting the fan. It's bad. And they're freaking out. And we've all been there, right? Seems like our life goes from miracle to mayhem in no time. Like, you're sailing along, and everything feels good, and then the bottom of your life just seems to fall off with the wrong test or the wrong result, or somebody gets laid off, something bad happens. But the reality is, if you're going to follow Jesus, there'll be seasons of miracle and there'll be seasons of mayhem. And the reality is, God is the same in both seasons. 
And learning to trust him and be obedient, whether it's miracle or mayhem, is the test of life with Jesus. Then last week was not the, the most fun message to preach. We talked about how life with Jesus is really, it's unfair. Because we're all called to follow the same person, but we all don't get to walk the same path. And where we get in trouble is when we give into that temptation to start comparing paths. And we're thinking, you know what? I'm loving Jesus and they're loving Jesus, but their path, especially from a distance, seems to be so much better than mine, so much easier than mine. There's not as many twists and turns and pebbles along the way. And I'm really jealous of their path. And God, it's not fair that I love you and they love you. And my path looks like this and their path looks like that. And we had to get to realize that like we don't all get to walk the same path. But the cool thing about it is that the difficulty of your path is not an indicator of the level of his love. That we all have to walk our path. Well, today we're going to finish up with this series. And I'm going to be honest, the word that I wanted to finish with this week, I've changed it a few times, at least three or four. One time I changed it because I'm pretty sure the word I was going to use ain't a real word. I had just, just made it up. And so this is the best word I can use as we conclude this series, is life with Jesus is unreasonable. It's going to, at times, feel like with what Jesus is saying and what Jesus wants you to do, you're going to look at him and say, Jesus, you're just being unreasonable. Anybody ever had one of those moments? Like, really, God, like right now, what you're asking of me, what you're saying to me, where you're leading me, like you're being unreasonable, Jesus. Like, if you've never had the, one of those moments, then, then, then maybe you're not following Jesus. If you, never, if you haven't had that moment where you look at God, I'm like, God, you're, you're being unreasonable. And, and I just want to unpack some passages of Scripture to kind of point this out, where I feel like the disciples looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, what you're saying, what you're doing right now, you're being unreasonable. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 53. And what is about to unfold we in the church nowadays, we don't want to allow it to happen. Somewhere along the way, if you grew up in church, been around church, maybe you've heard this term, seeker-sensitive. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that word. It was, a, it was a movement in the church a long time ago that thought, you know what, in church, you can have these spiritually unresolved people and that kind of stuff, so you've got to be careful what you say. Because you, you can't offend anybody. You can't say anything that might make somebody uncomfortable. Like you got to be careful what you say. In other words, so you got to kind of compromise. There may be some things about Scripture that you got to choose your audience and maybe not say in front of a group of people because people might get offended and people might walk away. And that can, so let me just go ahead and say, like, Jesus never really worried about that. Amen. Like, I know we like this image of Jesus, and we have this Im image of Jesus, and you grew up in the church. You had long, white hair, Shakespearean Jesus. You know, that looks like he just stepped off an English stage. You know, he's, his cheeks are all rosy and his hair's flowing back, and he's staring into the sky like, and he's the whitest dude on the planet. And like you realize, like that's kind of, and he, and, he, and, he, and he talks like this, and thou shalt come to me. Stand at the door and knocketh, and I shall let thee in. And like that's our image of Jesus. Well, number one, have you ever seen anybody from the Middle East that looked like that? No. And the other thing is, Jesus wasn't all like just passing out candy canes. There were some times he said some things, and the disciples were like, Jesus, you can't say that. And here is one of them. And just, just, let's just dive in. John chapter 6, verse 53. So Jesus is, is, people are starting to follow Jesus. It's more than just the 12 now. Jesus is saying stuff that's intriguing and interesting, but it's not always attractive. 
And so there's this big group of people beginning to follow Jesus, and then he turns to them and says this in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Do what? Like, think about that. So Jesus, all these people, and he said, hey, oh, by the way, if y'all want to keep following me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And now at this point, the type of thing, like, Jesus, dude, you cannot say that. Like, really? And Judas is over there. He's in charge of the, the, the giving. He's like, Jesus, people ain't going to give when you start talking like that. Like, you have to watch what you, and then look at verse 54. He keeps on. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. They're like, dude, we're following a cannibal. What is happening right now? Verse 55, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And all the people are like, dude, this is weird. This just got weird. Like, you know, they were following Jesus, and when he was doing, now, there's probably some of the same people that fed the, fed the 5,000, like, Jesus, can't you just, like, whip up a meal? Like, why you got to talk about this stuff, man? Like, wait a minute, I don't, I, I liked you, Jesus, when you were putting food in my belly. But now you're saying some stuff that I can't really get with. I'm not really sure about that. We all had those moments. Like, we, we love, save you from hell, died on the cross, Jesus. But what about that Jesus that says, where your treasure is, your heart is as well? Like, that, we, we love Jesus when he's making us feel all warm and fuzzy and good about things. Like, when he's feeding the 5,000, oh, Jesus is awesome. He's so great. He's just the greatest. And he says, oh, yeah, drink my blood and eat my flesh. Things start to change. See, we, we want to create this Jesus that we're comfortable with. And we want to create this lifestyle of what it means to know and follow Jesus that, that, that fits within the mold of our, of our thinking that seems reasonable to us. He keeps on, verse 58. This is the bread that, come, that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogues at Capernaum. And then look what happens, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You know what essentially they're saying? Jesus, you're being unreasonable. You're being unreasonable. You ever had that moment? You, if you never had that moment where Jesus is saying, hey, uh, this is what I want for you to do. This is what you're going to do with your life. This is what I want you to do with your money. This is what I want to do you in the next 30 days. Hey, this is what I want to have in your life. I'm like, Jesus, you just being unreasonable now. And see, so many of us, we're cool with Jesus, but we draw that a figurative spiritual line in the sand. And we're like, God, me and you are good, but don't cross this line. Like, don't meddle in this area of my life. Like, as long as you stay on this side, we're good. And that's essentially what's happening here. And now, we have perspective on what Jesus is saying. And we have perspective on looking at the cross and through the lens of all that. And some of you might think, Jesus, you got really bad timing. Why don't you wait till later to tell this to them? Because he's Jesus and he knows what he's doing. But they say, Jesus, you're being, you're being unreasonable. Verse 61, aware 
that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? In other words, like, if you think this offends you, you had not seen nothing yet. Like, if this little teaching right here, if, if this seems unreasonable, just, just, just wait. Verse 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life, yet they are, there are some of you who do not believe it. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 65, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. See, it got to the point where they just felt like what Jesus was saying and maybe what Jesus was going to demand next was just a little bit more than they were willing to give. And because they didn't understand, because they didn't have perspective on who Jesus was and what this life was going to look like, it rattled them. And it said, you know what, Jesus, we were cool until you started doing that. We were cool until you started saying those things. And there's so many of us that live life the same way just thousands of years later. They're like, we're good with God. There's certain things about God that we, we like and we want to know about Jesus. But then when he starts going into that line to pushing us to go against the grain, when we realize that what we have to do as far as being like Jesus and living like Jesus and loving like Jesus is going to go against the grain of our culture and it's going to be a little bit more difficult than we anticipated. What we are like is like, I'm out. I'm out. And that's exactly what's happening here. There's a line that Jesus is drawing and he's saying, you know what? These these guys think that's, that's, that's unreasonable. And then in verse 67, Jesus is kind of seeing what happens, and he says, looks at his disciples, looks at those 12 guys that have been with him from the beginning, and says, do you, you do not want to leave me too, do you? And you hear the the dejection in that verse. Uh, Jesus looks around, and all these people have bailed out. And he looks at these 12 guys and says, are y'all going to leave too? Because it's going to get harder. What it's going to mean to follow me is going to be a little bit, more unreasonable as you move along. And, and, and do you want to bail out as well? And then look what Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, God, we do know it's going to be hard. We know it's unreasonable and uncomfortable and unpredictable. But because we know exactly who you are and where you're from and what you have to offer us, we're not going anywhere. Because as unreasonable and difficult as it may seem, we know that life with you is going to be better with life with anybody else. I'm preaching. And Jesus was calling them to something different. And see, there were moments that it didn't quite go the way it did in the, the verses that we read at the beginning where Jesus said, follow me. And Peter, people like Peter and Matthew and others came along and made that happen. See, there were other times when Jesus would extend that invitation But because he kind of gave insight into what it meant and what it would mean to follow him, people weren't as ready and willing to get on board. Flip over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start with verse 57. Here is a couple encounters right together. And I don't know if these three guys showed up to kind of talk to Jesus and meet Jesus all at once, or if maybe this happened over a series of time. But here's three times where people either claim they want to follow or Jesus offers the invitation to follow. But then when he kind of responds to what they say next, 
they aren't willing to do it. Luke chapter 9, pick up with verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Big talker, right? He sees Jesus walking along. He looks at Jesus. Jesus, I know who you are. I will follow you wherever you go. And now as a preacher, like, that's awesome thinking, well, son, let's get saved. Here we go. Mark it down. You think Jesus was like, cometh to me, my child. Like the Shakespearean Jesus, his robe flowing in the air and everything's great. Like you think that would be the response, right? Like when somebody comes to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But look how Jesus responds. Verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. What a weird response. God shows up and says, Jesus, I'll go wherever you go, man. I'm the man. I got you. I'll follow you wherever. He said, really? Do you understand right now that me and my friends, were homeless? Still want to come? Jesus, I'll follow you because if I follow you, I'm going to have a nice house. My kids, they're going to be cool. And my wife, we'll figure her out. Together, me and you, Jesus. It's going to be great. He says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, really? And he uses a very eloquent way to do it, but essentially he's saying right now, I'm homeless. Still want to come? What if it means for the next little bit, we're all homeless together? Still interested? Really? You want to follow me wherever I go? I don't know where we're sleeping tonight. I don't know where our next meal's coming from. Still want to come? You know what I think the guy did? He said, we'll talk. See, it doesn't say that he followed. Then look what happened again next in verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. He gives that declaration. Look, but he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Seems reasonable. Seems reasonable. He says, follow me. He says, okay, Jesus, but first I need to, I need to go bury my father. And now good old Shakespearean Jesus has got to say, right, he's your daddy. You need to go bury him. Like that is a reasonable request. Go thou and bury thy father. And that's what we think, like because like, that's who Jesus is, right? Look what Jesus says next. Verse, 50, verse 60. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus needed some sensitivity training. Like really? What? The guy says, Jesus, follow me. He says, I but first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus' response is, let the dead bury their own dead, but go, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Kind of seems unreasonable, don't it? Seems a little bit unreasonable that Jesus would respond that way. Again, verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. You need to go tell mama bye. You need to go kiss your little brothers and sisters. Like that would be how we think we would respond. But look at what he says in verse 62. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus, you're being unreasonable. Anybody else feel that way? 
as we walk through this, it seems like, wait a minute, like this seems really unreasonable that Jesus would be saying these things to these people as, as he's inviting them to follow them. But you know what I've learned through reading these passages of Scripture and been trying to process and figure out what, how we need, what we need to take away from this. And what I've discovered is this, that life with Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to do life with Jesus, you will have to redefine prosperous and rearrange priorities. That if you're going to do life with Jesus, you're going to have to redefine what it means to be prosperous and rearrange what you think to be important in your life. Like, that, that, we, we, I know we've been in this, in this situation for a while now where there's this whole concept of the prosperity kind of gospel, right? And, and, and at its core, sometimes it gets a little bit extreme to where there's preachers and, and they think, oh, you follow Jesus and you're going to have a good job and you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to have no debt and things are going to be awesome and woo, right? And there's this guy out there standing there and he's got this beautiful head of hair and these pearly white teeth and got a fat paycheck and he's saying this to you and you're thinking, that's great, Jesus, but I'm going bald. My teeth are boogity and my job sucks. I don't know what's going on here. Right? So we're looking at this like, I j- my experience just ain't matching up with the theology you're throwing at me right now. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And here we look into this place where Jesus is, a guy comes to Jesus and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. He says, okay, we're homeless. Let's go. And see, you're going to have to redefine what you mean by prosperous. Because the kind of prosperity that Jesus wants, Jesus wants you to prosper, but can I let you know, it's not always going to look like the world, the way the world defines that. Because Jesus wants you to prosper spiritually more than any other area in your life. Your spiritual prosperity is much more important to him than your financial prosperity. Your spiritual prosperity is much more important than even your relational prosperity. Like Jesus wants you to prosper, but Jesus is most concerned with your spiritual development. Let me go and say, I believe God will bless you. I believe he has blessed you. I believe it's not always going to look like you want it to look. I believe that if you follow Jesus and live for him minute by minute, moment by moment, every single day, then he will shower you with blessings like you wouldn't believe. But they're not going to always be in the form of dollars and cents or possessions and things like that. Maybe he wants to shower you more with peace than he wants with pennies. I just made that up. (laughs) That he wants you to prosper, but your spiritual prosperity is what he's concerned with. And you know what? Can I give you the best example of that? Jesus himself. By all the world standard of prosperity, Jesus had nothing. Born in a barn, a tradesman under the, as a carpenter's son. His whole three years of ministry, he never, he never owned a home. You're going to have to redefine what it means to be prosperous, and you're going to have to rearrange priorities. Because, see, it seems like these people have their priorities in Let me go bury my dad. Let me go tell my family goodbye. But Jesus is saying, you're going to have to rearrange your priorities. And can I something that God's been teaching me to move forward spiritually you may have to move away from something you're attached to emotionally that's not on the screen but I wanted to marinate a little bit to move forward spiritually 
you may be forced to move away from something that you're attached to emotionally. See, sometimes what we become attached to emotionally becomes what we idolize and becomes our God. And what we get attached to emotionally becomes our object of worship. We're emotionally attached to our kids and they become an idol. We're emotionally attached to our money and it becomes an idol. We're emotionally attached to this idea or this concept or this philosophy and maybe, just maybe, could it be that sometimes to move forward spiritually, God's gonna have to detach us from something we're attached to emotionally. Does that make sense? Because God's first priority is that you grow spiritually, that you prosper in your knowledge and understanding of who he is and what he wants to do in your life. And you know what? You're going to be blessed if you follow God, but you're not going to be in the blessed in the way that some people have tried to say you're going to be blessed. You know how I know that? Because I see it every day. And I watch people feeling less than or guilty or frustrated because you think, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and I'm living for the Lord and I'm in intimacy with Him, but just everything ain't working. See, we think salvation is popping the genie out of the bottle and now we get our every wish. And that's just not the reality. And see, there was another man that experienced something like this. Flip over to Matthew chapter 19. Pick up verse 16. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Verse 17, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? In other words, he's saying, I've believed in all the right somethings. Like, and, and so much so, I've let them be the framework and driving force of my life. God, I, Jesus, I've done all those. Okay, thou shalt not murder. Check, I ain't killed nobody. I, all, I, all, okay, I've done all those. But something's missing. Like, Jesus, my whole life, I've believed in all the right somethings, but something is missing. There's still a hole in my spirit. Jesus answered in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You know what he's essentially saying? He's saying, you want, you want to have fulfillment? Go remove everything that could potentially be a distraction and an obstacle between me and you. Get rid of it all and come do life with me. And now if we've misused this pastor's scripture, think, oh, if you're going to follow Jesus now, you've got to go put everything on the market. That's not the reality. What he's saying is anything... These things right now, the biggest problem is that you, you have stuff that's become an obstacle and become an idol and become an object of your energy and worship. And what you're going to need to do if you're going to follow me is you're going to let those things go. That may not be money in your life, but it may be one of a million things that stand in the way. It says, come follow me. Verse 20, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Verse 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's harder for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who can be saved? Like this seems unreasonable. And this is what God's been teaching me. If you're going to do life with Jesus, you are not guaranteed wealth and prominence, but you are called to sacrifice independence. If you're going to do life with Jesus, you are not guaranteed wealth and prominence. 
And see, somewhere along the way, we've kind of built that in our minds, right? Like, if I follow Jesus, then I'm, I'm going to get to this place of, of, of this worldly wealth and this prominent place. And, and, but you know what Jesus is saying right here is, you want to follow me? It's about sacrifice and moving outside of moving all these things that you think you need, that you think you can rely on, that you think can give you peace and hope and comfort. Moving those aside, sacrificing and learning to be dependent on who I am. And let me just go ahead and say, if you're, if you're blessed in worldly wealth, you can't be guilty and grateful at the same time. Be grateful. Praise God for that. But you have to understand that following Jesus does not guarantee wealth and prominence, but it does call you to sacrifice and dependence. And maybe there's more to learn from what we must surrender than to gain from what we think we need to acquire. And they say, who can do this then? Who can do this life with Jesus if it's like this? Because it doesn't make sense. It's unreasonable. It's unpredictable. Like, who can? Is this even possible? They even asked Jesus that. Jesus, we've heard all this now. Like, who is even going to be able to do this? Verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the, tri the, the tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, but many who are last will be first. See, this is, this is the reality that we live with. That if you're going to do life with Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, you will not be free from problems. But you will have the promise of his presence. See, that's the heart of all this. See, I think, I think sometimes we bought into this, this fact of, oh, when I get saved and I follow Jesus, then I'm not going to have all those problems I used to have. Or I'm not going to have all those problems of those people that, that don't know Jesus. Things in my life are going to start working out, and everything's going to be great, and everything's going to be fine. And then what we do is we realize we get saved, and it ain't all changed overnight. And we still have the same stresses and the same, same worries and the same sicknesses. You know what? I followed Jesus, and I still lost my job. I followed Jesus, and I still got cancer. I followed Jesus and I still ended up divorced. I followed Jesus, and, and so what we end up getting is like, I must not be doing it. Can I say to you, you can be doing all those things and still be doing life with Jesus? And the reality is, following him does not fix all your problems. You're going to go through the, some of the same stuff that people who don't know Jesus go through, but the good news is you never go through it alone. That the difference is we have the promise of the power of the presence of a holy God who will never leave us or forsake us, that walks with us through that and has the power to give us perspective and peace when we still go through those problems that everybody else is going to go through. That's the difference. That's the difference. See, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, he didn't promise to fix your, offer you a fix for your problems. He offered you rest for your soul. And why does he need to offer rest if it ain't because of all the stress and struggle and problems that you're going to have that you're going to need to rest from? That's the difference. See, you're going to do life with Jesus, and, and it's going to be hard. 
there's going to be struggle. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be times when it's uncomfortable, unpredictable, unfair, and unreasonable. But the good news is every single one of those seasons you travel through, you travel with something called the Holy, a person called the Holy Spirit that the moment you accepted Jesus in salvation came into your life and surrounds your heart and protects your mind and gives you courage and comfort and power and everything necessary to overcome anything this life throws at you. I'm preaching, church, where you're at. That's the difference. And can I say to you, it's worth it. It's worth it that life with him is so much better than life can ever be without him. Paul knew this, and this is, Paul is a great example. In his life is a microcosm of everything that I've been teaching. Because see, for Paul, the moment he got saved, life got significantly worse. For real. From the time he got saved to the time he died, life was so much harder than it was pre-Jesus. See, before Jesus, he was an educated, powerful, wealthy man. Then he is walking down the road one day and Jesus, boom, drops into his life and changes his life forever. And he spends the honeymoon of his salvation blind. You got saved, you can't see for a few days. Welcome to the kingdom. And then over the next several years of his life, he's beaten, he's shipwrecked, he's thrown in jail. People that loved him abandoned him. But look what he writes in Philippians chapter 3. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. In other words, in every way that you can prosper by the world standard, I reached it. I reached it. I was there. I had it. I achieved it. I got there. But then look what he says in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him even in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead he says I had it all but let me tell you something what I had versus what I have with Jesus there's no comparison everything else that the world had to offer everything else that I could have experienced all the things I could have saved myself had I just stayed down that path and not walked this thing with Jesus I wouldn't trade it for nothing because knowing him and living in intimacy with him and being able to have a conversation with him and walk with him and being infused by his spirit and walking in communion with the living God is more than anything I could have ever imagined or asked for. And no, it ain't been easy. And I haven't had all my problems fixed and I hadn't had all the wealth and I hadn't had all the things that I thought I would have if I followed Jesus, but I've had him the entire time and he is enough. You want to do life with Jesus? It ain't going to be easy. Not everything's going to work out. Problems will exist. But so will the power of his presence. 
And if maybe life is beating you down, what you really need to do is stop trying to run away from your problems and just step in to the power of his presence. Jesus said, come. You're weak. You're weary. You're tired. No, I'm not going to fix all your problems, but I'm going to give you rest for your soul. Well, you just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. You want to do life with Jesus? There it is. So I'm going to ask you a real serious question. You ready to do life with Jesus? You know what it looks like. You know what it costs. You know what it involves. If you say, you know what, I'm ready to do life with Jesus. I understand it. I get it. And I want it. And I'm ready for it. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. Just go ahead and stand up on your feet. Maybe you're standing up and you're choosing Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're renewing that commitment to Jesus that's been drifted away. Maybe it's something that you just have walked away from. But if you want to say, I want to do life with Jesus, just stand on your feet. Go ahead, right now. Say, I want to do life with Jesus. Just rise to your feet. I want to do life with Jesus. I want to do life with Jesus. I'm ready. Maybe you're doing life with Jesus and you say, no, I'm going to keep doing life with Jesus. I'm ready to do life with Jesus. I want to do life with Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I know what it means. I know what it looks like. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to be bogged down by the problems in my life. I'm not going to lose sight of who he is. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to ask you guys who are seated, if you'll join those who are standing right now, and I'm going to pray for us all, and we're going to spend some time in worship this morning. As we worship, I invite you to come and kneel and pray if you feel led. And just have a conversation with your creator the one who you get to intimately live with. Let's pray, God, as we just soak in your love. I pray that that would be what draws us to you. God, your love is not measured by our wealthy, our, our, the, the possessions and the blessings we get. Your love was demonstrated on the cross. In the cross, we see the fullness of your love, the greatest extent of it. God, if you never did another thing for us, the cross was enough to demonstrate who you are and how much you love us. And God, I pray that now, motivated by your love and through the reality of your love, people will respond to whatever you're speaking into their hearts as we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.